Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Before we begin today's episode of Potterless, just a few quick things. First, we passed 125 reviews on iTunes, and I just wanted to thank everybody that's taken the time out of their day to leave a rating for Potterless. It really does help more people find the podcast. So if you have a few spare minutes and you want to leave us a rating, preferably one that is five stars, I really would appreciate it. It really helps a ton. So thank you to everyone that's done so. Second, I mentioned last episode that we added more to the website, but we've added even more specifically under the Connect tab of Potterless Podcast. Podcast.com. Our web designer, Kelly Beckman, did some great stuff. Two of the new things we've added, one of which is outreach. So it has all the information about where your donations have gone because we give $1 per month per patron we have on patreon.com. So far, we've raised $185, which is sweet. And it has information about all those charities if you want to check those out. And there's also a collaborations tab, which has other podcasts that I've been on. So anytime I've guest starred on someone else's podcast, it's there if you want to check those out as well. There's some really fun stuff and good people there. Speaking of fun stuff and good people, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Jess Rogers, Megan Motley, Judith Tallis, Julia Rose, Katie Humans, and Darlene Rowell. An enormous shout out to our two newest producer-level patrons, Frank Chiotto and Marchismo. They join the ranks of Leanne, Andreas, Vicky, Aaron, Erica, Calvin, Michael, Sadie, Emily, Jesse, Maggie, Natalie, Deborah, Daisy, Clow, Michael, Sean, Alexander, and Rebecca who are amazing people that never get stuck with crying babies on airplanes. Quick update for patrons and potential patrons. At the end of January, I will be placing an order for new shirts and new stickers, and then we'll be mailing those out. So if you are on the fence and you want to get one of those soon, now would be the time to join so that I can get in your order before I place it. But without further ado, let's get into episode 33 of Potterless, guest starring Hannah McGregor of the Witch Please podcast. Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 25-year-old man reading Harry Potter for the first time. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am very honored and excited to be joined by fellow Harry Potter podcast host herself, Hannah McGregor of Witch Please. Hannah, how's it going? It's going, I mean, I found headphones and I have a bottle of wine beside me, so it's going great. Yes, what could be better than headphones and wine. I can't think of anything else. That's all you need. Maybe Harry Potter. That's the one missing ingredient. That's and we've okay. got it. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we're we here to discuss chapters 28 through 33 of Harry Potter and Lord of the Phoenix, a.k.a. like the hypest chapters of the book yet. It's a really good chapters. It's been a bit of a snooze fest, aside from a few like bits of things happening. But so many things happen, especially in the last couple of this. So I am 
very excited. And I mm-hmm. think we should just dive right into it. Are you ready? Let's dive right in. No, can I ask you a question oh, first? Yes, please. Do you think that maybe this book is so long because this is the point at which she'd become a major celebrity and nobody dared to edit her anymore? Yes, exactly. I, right. I, I want to say <laughs> I mentioned this in like the very first episode about this book i was like this is clearly the one where the books reach peak fame and then everyone Mm -hmm. in the publishing company was like oh we can't tell we can't tell her it's too long we can't tell her like that entire chapter didn't matter like one of the ones in this section like the owls chapter uh nothing matters until mcgonagall gets attacked like 10 pages of people (laughs) writing exams. It's pretty bad. And I even, I looked on, um, I looked on Sparknotes. I I was like, I wonder how much Sparknotes said about that section. (laughs) It was literally one sentence where it goes, the students are taking their OWLS exams. At one point, Hagrid, and like, it just, it's (laughs) like 10 and a half pages of Harry Potter summed up in an eight word sentence. It's amazing. (laughs) Dear Lord. Okay. You're Uh, calling them OWLS exams. So I called them owls Mm -hmm. but then i had zach valenti on the podcast he said that he always calls them owls because the audiobooks always explicitly call them owls and then that kind of has been stuck in my brain audiobooks are an interpretation only they're for sure called owls okay okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's also an interpretation but like it's gotta be the right one sure because that's how acronyms work yeah i like to call them owls but it reminds me how dumb the acronyms are that it's owls and newts like it makes me so sad because it's just so lame. Lean into how dumb the series is. You can't fight it. This is true. This is true. Okay, so chapter 28, Snape's worst memory. There is another new decree, and this one states that Dolores Umbridge has officially replaced Dumbledore, and she is the headmistress of Hogwarts, which is just a sad realization that we all have. (laughs) All the kids know about the Dumbledore escape thing because rumors are spreading like absolute wildfire. Mm -hmm. Malfoy at one point threatens to take points away from Gryffindor and Hufflepuff Mm -hmm. because Ernie and Hermione are having a pro-Dumbledore, anti-Umbridge conversation. Mm -hmm. And Ron butts in and says, no, only teachers can do that, take points away from other people's houses. Not under the new world order, Ron. Uh, Exactly. Malfoy reveals that he is in the Inquisitorial Squad, which is a way worse version of Dumbledore's army, like in terms of Mm -hmm. name, the member that they have their purpose like it's and just, how cool it is to be like a member of the nazi youth brigade because it's oh, like not yeah. super cool malfoy N- yeah not at all yeah so it's basically umbridge's hand-picked group of just idiots that decide to support the ministry for mm-hmm. no reason mm-hmm. so. while reading this are you having like an intense sense that it's remarkably prescient and relevant to our current political system it is terrifyingly accurate it scares because me this is what is happening on campuses in north america like yeah. students who disagree with what teachers are saying are making watch lists of those teachers Ooh. they're joining in with like other professors who are like against the more liberal teachers and trying to like this, this culture of sort of whisper networks and everybody knows what's going on because they're like passing the information word of mouth, which is what you do when you live in an unfree state. It's all, it's all creepily accurate. Uh, Yeah. And what's weird about it, what's, what's even worse is that like, as I am reading the books and going through it, Uh, It's obviously getting worse in the books because you have, you know, Umbridge getting worse and worse. But then also like the political stuff just gets worse and worse because we have things like Mm -hmm. people trying to be like pedophilia is not that bad. Roy Moore is fine. It's like, (laughs) what is what world are we in? Oh, 
maybe you're breaking the world by reading these books. I think I am. Oh mm. man. Hmm. I need to, stop. I need to, re- you should probably stop. <laughs> I just read the Sorry. chapters in these chapters. Umbridge gets taken away. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I'm helping. All right. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Back on track. Back Inquisitorial on track. Squ- yeah. Squad. Yeah. Anyway, Harry Potter. Malfoy is a Nazi youth. Let's go. <laughs> yep. So he takes a bunch of points away for complete BS, like Hermione being a mudblood, literally not liking Harry, and Ron having his shirt mm-hmm. untucked are the three things he takes points away for. Mm-hmm. The kids look at the house cup standing jars with the rocks in it to see if these actually take effect and they do. I don't know how this is possible, but when they look, they say that Gryffindor was tied for first Mm -hmm. when the rocks start to go away, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense because Harry's been getting dock points the whole year for talking up in class. They're not good at Quidditch this year. I don't know how they're tied for first place. I feel like it's impossible unless Hermione is answering every single question that is asked in class. That has to be it. Yeah, but she is. True. I mean, valid. Yeah. (laughs) Fred and George come in. They say that uh, Montague, who is another Slytherin guy in this squad, tried to dock them from points, but they threw him into a vanishing closet and he could be gone for weeks. Student student murder. It's great. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Fred and George are just absolute ruthless. They say that with Dumbledore gone, they don't really care about getting expelled, so they're just going to do whatever they want and give Umbridge as much mischief as possible. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know... Rebels without a cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're Antifa. Wow, look at all this. Yeah, I'm never going to stop. I'm going to belabor <laughs> the fuck out of this analogy. I hope they're swearing on your podcast. Oh, there's, yes. We have, the, we have the red E. We're oh, good to go. Good, we, great. We can say all the poopy, nasty things we want. <laughs> so Fred and George say to get ready for something that is about to go down at lunchtime, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. Filch enters. He is in good spirits. He tells Harry that Umbridge is looking for him, so he takes... Harry to her office. Mm -hmm. The reason you find out that Filch is happy is because the next educational decree to come out, number 29, will let him physically harm students, which does not sound like a good thing. Okay, next question. What's your theory for why Dumbledore keeps Filch employed at Hogwarts? Because Filch is hungry for student floggings. Yeah, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Like, the other question is, like, why haven't they banished Peeves if all he does is, like, terrorize the students? Also, why do they need a janitor when they know magic? Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> interesting. So, Dumbledore has this tendency to keep useful squibs nearby, right? Like, the uh-huh. one who lives next door to Harry and sort of spies for him. Oh, yeah. And so, it suggests to me that, like, Filch has some use that maybe maybe we find out later. No spoilers. Okay, cool. No, that's, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, maybe my- we never do. True. No, my big assumption with any time like someone doesn't make sense is that like either they did something in the past that was really good or Dumbledore sees something in their future that's really good. Like Hagrid, Mm -hmm. like objectively probably should not be a teacher at Hogwarts, but because of the good that he's done and the and the potential that Dumbledore sees in him, he keeps him around. So there's situations like that. Same thing with Snape, because even though he was a Death Eater, like, you know, we know he's good now or that he's going to be good in the future. But I haven't seen this yet. Do we? Well, I I mean, I know spoiler wise that he like it kills Dumbledore, but it's for a good reason because he likes Harry's mom or something. So much for this being a spoiler free podcast. Uh, it's like, I mean, you can't <laughs> avoid that with Tumblr and Twitter existing. Like there was no way for me to not ever find out the whole like Snape kills Dumbledore. Like that was rampant like wildfire when the books came out. But I have no idea who the Half-Blood Prince is Mm -hmm. or how Harry kills Voldemort, which I'm assuming he does, or if he does, who knows? So the only real big one I know is that Snape kills Dumbledore. I have no idea why, though, so that makes it fun. Okay. 
Anyway, back to this. So Harry enters her office. She offers him something to drink and doesn't let him say no. So immediately he should not drink it Mm -hmm. because it's got to be truth serum. Uh, But Harry has this own thought too. So he keeps faking sipping when she continually urges him to take a sip, take a sip. Like she's really bad at it. Like she's not subtle at all. No, evil people often aren't very subtle about their evil. Yeah, she's just straight up and gives it all the way, shows all her cards to Harry. She asks where Sirius is. Harry says he doesn't know. She mentions the fireplace thing when she reached her hand through and almost got Sirius and asks again. Again, Harry says he doesn't know. She finally like gives up on that questioning. She tells him that the flu network is being heavily monitored except for hers and that every piece of mail is being read, which seems highly illegal Mm. and a huge breach of privacy. But that's where we are now. Did you have any times when you were in high school, which was what, like five minutes ago? (laughs) No, 10 years ago. When (laughs) lies. Uh, When they would search your lockers? We had like drug dogs come through, but I don't think they ever actually search our lockers. They would have like dogs walk through the hallways with the lockers in them and then Mm -hmm. occasionally into our classes to like sniff our backpacks. But that was the furthest they ever went for confiscation. Could they open a locker if they wanted to? I think, yeah, if a dog like started freaking out, I believe they had the authority to do it because of suspicion. Yeah, I mean, I just like students don't have rights. Students have remarkably few rights, like legally. Yeah. Um, I know the laws in Canada. They're very bad. You're not allowed to hit a student in the head. Oh, I mean, that's a good law. <laughs> but like the body's fine. Oh, what? Yeah. No, Whoa, Canada. Dang. Um, oh, oh, I look into the laws in the States. I do not think you will find they are better. Students have so few rights. That's unfortunate. Yeah. You don't have privacy. You don't own your mail. If it goes into the school, everybody else gets to look at it. I guess so. That's unfortunate. Yeah. I've also never been to a boarding school, so I don't know how all that works. But Schools are prisons. But I learned so much. (laughs) So all the mail is being read. As she is wrapping up this meeting, there's a loud bang that is heard down the hallway and you hear the voices of kids running through the hallway. So clearly this has to be the Fred and George prank, which it is. And you learn that they have set off an enormous crate of fireworks, which they have called Weasley Wildfire Whizbangs. And they are fire-breathing dragons. There's Catherine wheels. There are sparklers that spell out profanity, which is a nice touch. So those are exploding all over the place. And Umbridge and Filch freak out. Umbridge tries to do spells to get rid of them, but the twins have hexed them in a way that when you try to do spells to quell them, they just get worse. Like they either multiply or get bigger. Filch tries to stop them with a broom, which seems like a poor decision because it's a highly flammable tool. And then it does light on fire. I don't know what he was thinking was going to work fighting fireworks with a broom. Basically what happens is that these fireworks last all day long and all of the other teachers are very happy about it. They don't care. There's great scenes of McGonagall being like, oh dear, please send for Professor Umbridge so that she can come in and quell these fireworks. Like, like McGonagall in this book, she was already my favorite character, I think, going into this book. And throughout this book, she has just killed it. Like the fifth book should be called like Harry Potter and McGonagall is the greatest person ever because there's so many good things in her in terms of like being sassy, in terms of being like a great mentor to Harry, taking over the school, fighting evil. I'm sure she's going to have a major role in the end of the book, too. Like she's killing it so much. It's amazing. So as Harry's going to bed, uh, he takes delight in the thought of how 
pissed off Umbridge is and how upset Fudge must be knowing that she spent her entire first day just running around and then he falls asleep. This is bad because his guard is down, so he has the dream again. Now, this time, he goes through the door, but then he goes through another door and it has a bunch of dusty glass orbs in it, which is confusing i have no i try to predict what things are i have no fucking clue what the dusty glass orbs are harry in the dream so i guess seeing the eyes of voldemort is about to go through another door and he gets this feeling that he really wants to go through aka voldemort really wants to go through but then he's woken up by a combination of a firework of a dragon and a catherine wheel put together which sounds hype so Harry wakes up. He's very pissed about it. And this is the second time in this book where he's been woken up by some sort of loud noise just as he's about to, you know, open a door in this dream that he keeps having. So the timing of noises are just so amazing here. So it's later on in that day. Harry is dreading his occlumency lesson because he hasn't practiced at all. And he's trying to like scramble and think about it during his classes, but it's not working. I've definitely been there before with tests and stuff in school, like trying to do things in other classes at the end Mm -hmm. never Mm -hmm. works out well. Has it been because your teacher is abusive? No, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) So on his way, on his way to his lesson, he's flagged down by Cho Chang near the house cup points thing. Mm -hmm. And it is shown that Gryffindor's container of house cup points is almost empty. So this means there's going to be like some supreme bullshit where they somehow win the house cup in the end. And I'm going to be so mad about it. I'm not looking forward to inevitably them somehow winning, which is it just uh, there. It's something's going to happen. And I know it. I'm going to be so mad. Things, so, several things are going to happen. That is uh, a correct. That is a correct prediction. <laughs> Events shall unfold. <laughs> Oh, man. So Cho starts to apologize for her friend Marietta ratting on the DA, Mm -hmm. but Harry is having none of it. As well he should not. Exactly. So Cho's mad about the spell. Harry says, I actually thought it was a great spell. And Mm -hmm. Cho's like, well, yeah, you only like it because, you know, perfect little Hermione did it. And Harry's like, oh, don't start with that again. And then Cho starts to cry, and Harry's like, don't start crying. And she's like, I wasn't going to. And he's like, well, good. It's... (laughs) It's a bad fight, but was still like kind of funny. Like I feel bad, but I'm also equally like I get Harry's point of view because it was so dumb. I don't understand why her friend ratted on them. Like I don't. What did she have to gain by that? You like don't understand why people show complicity with the existing government. Well, I, like I don't know what would make Marietta be like. I'm gonna tell Professor Umbridge about that. Like the only piece of evidence is that her mom like works for the ministry, but mm-hmm. I don't get like what that would make her. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that would make her want to go to Umbridge. Like why would you join if you? I don't know. It was so confusing to me. I don't understand why Marietta ratted. I mean, because her mom works for the ministry. Yeah, that's it. Because she's afraid that if she's found out, her mom will lose her job. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess. And as we're going to find out in the next chapter or the chapter after that, there's basically only government jobs in the wizarding world. Yeah, that was very strange. We know what happens. Like, look at the poverty that the Weasleys live in because Arthur Weasley refuses to be complicit with the existing political order. He stands for what he believes in. He's an ally for those who are oppressed by the existing government. And as a result, he's constantly demoted. He's constantly ignored. He's treated like trash. His children are poor and face the humiliations of poverty every day. Wow. I had never realized that, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. Dang, that sucks. It's it's trash. (laughs) One should not be a snitch. Mm-hmm. But still, you got to say they're fundamentally they're, like they're functionally living in a totalitarian government at this point. So like, jeez, yeah, people do shitty stuff to survive. Wow. Dang. Ugh. 
Everything sucks. I make books fun. <laughs> no, it's a good realization. Though. So she gets so mad, she storms off. And then Harry heads down to Occlumency. The entire time he's on his way, he's thinking of more insults he could have said to Cho about Marietta, which is great. I love having imaginary arguments in my head. The lesson with Snape is about to start after Snape has done the pensive thing where mm-hmm. he takes memories out of his head and puts them into the pensive. Now, I have a huge question here. Mm. So it explicitly, this is the first time they explicitly called it Dumbledore's pensive and not just the pensive. Mm -hmm. So before this, I thought Snape had his own pensive. But now Snape is putting his own memories into Dumbledore's pensive. Mm -hmm. That seems gross and unhygienic. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like... His memories are mixing with Dumbledore's memories. They're no, in the Dumbledore same like Dumbledore takes his puddle. memories out when they're done. Okay. Now, yeah. here's the second question I have. The pensive is like a laptop and your memory is like a USB key. Oh, okay. But what? It, why does, is the only reason that Snape does it so that Harry doesn't see this memory that he ends up seeing? Mm-hmm. But when you take a memory out of your head into a pensive, mm-hmm. do you forget that it happened? Like what happens? Do you still remember it? I'm just wondering like what actually happens when you put it into the pensive and how yeah. It works. That's a really good question. Now, the implication of the scene is absolute that Snape remembers it because he knows what he took out because he knows that Harry saw it, uh-huh. right? Because he's mad at Harry and is like, yes. you know, did you enjoy what you saw? Mm-hmm. We see scenes in the future that show that you can get memories off people and store them and that those memories, that person still has those memories at the time. And so the question of like why Snape is taking it out, which is specifically so that Harry won't see it during the occlumency lessons. Uh-huh. I am not entirely clear on that. I would be really interested in hearing people's theories about like how exactly that works. I asked my girlfriend about it, who uh, is very much into the books. And she was saying that when Dumbledore first described the pensive, he mentioned it something about like in terms of a memory that you don't have super fresh in your mind or whatever. And then you, you have it stored in the pensive at like full, perfect memory stuff. Mm-hmm. But then I think whatever is left in your mind is just like a vague recollection of it. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. what it is when Snape takes it out, he doesn't remember the vague details, but he does remember in his brain like, oh yeah, there was that one time where James Potter was really mean to me. What mm-hmm. happened? And he wouldn't remember it with it being removed. He would have to like put it back in or watch it in the pensive. So that's my guess as to how it works. Because otherwise, nothing else makes sense. Like conscious versus subconscious memory, something like that. Yeah, you know what it's about, but then by taking it out, you forget all the details. So that even if Harry somehow got into his brain, that whole seeing it perfectly in Mm -hmm. his eyes would not be there. So it wouldn't be one of the things. That's my thought. The memories you pull out for the pensive have like, this like obviously a magical status, but like, like, sure. they're not your memory. So they don't have the blurriness of the way that we misremember things. Right, right, right. They're not from the perspective of the rememberer. They are perfectly clear depictions of that moment in all of its accuracy. And so yes. that suggests that it's a sort of metaphysical trace of the moment that coincides with your memory, but isn't identical to your memory. Yeah. There's my theory. Wow. Look at us. Magic. It's Boom. magic. That's my theory. Yeah. Oh, that. Okay. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> you know, what's terrible about having the video on while we, we do this. What? You can see how much wine I drink. Hey, no judgment zone here. It's just my secret. <laughs> so right after Snape does the pensive move, they're just about to start the lesson when Malfoy interrupts to say that Montague has been found inside of a toilet. Somehow he's okay, which doesn't make any sense because humans can't fit in toilets. Magic! <laughs> oh, man. So Snape's like, oh, I gotta go. He's like, Harry, we'll do this tomorrow. 
But then Harry looks at the pensive and is like, I wonder what Snape is trying to hide from me. And then he has this internal debate where he's like, I probably shouldn't do this, but I want to, but I shouldn't do it. And then what puts him over the edge is that he's mad at Cho Chang and he's mad at Malfoy because Snape had to lie to Malfoy when he busted. He was like, oh, I'm just giving Potter a a remedial Mm. potions lesson. And and Malfoy gave him a big sneer. So the fact that he's angry at these two people, he decides to like live on the edge and go into the memory. Harry is often motivated by pissing. Yep, pretty much. So sticks his head into the pensive, blue skidoos into the memory, and it is the Marauders taking their Defense Against the Dark Arts Owls exam. Oh, uh, did we do we hear about it in detail? Uh, very grave detail. Ooh, so much detail. One detail which is confusing is that Flitwick is they're like overseeing the exam. Mm-hmm. So was he the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at one time and then switch? Or is he just overseeing this exam like even though he's not the professor of it? I was confused by Flitwick being there. Because even when the examiners come in, they're like outside people from the ministry. Is it an owl or is it? It's a it's an owl. Maybe Flitwick worked for the ministry. That's true. Yeah, maybe he was an examiner before he was a professor. Yeah. Okay, cool. So <laughs> <laughs> I was just confused. I was like, wait a second, don't you don't teach that. I don't know. Or they've changed the system. Who knows? Yeah, that's also true. So Harry is intrigued, first off, by how messy his dad's hair is and the fact that his dad keeps messing it up like on purpose. We later learn why he does this. Mm-hmm. And he's also taken aback by how attractive Sirius is, which I thought was just a fun thing to note. Okay, two things. One, you would be obsessed with every detail of a parent who you never got to see, right? Oh, yeah. I'd be, yeah. Oh, you'd God. You'd see them and you'd just be like absolutely obsessed with anything about of them. Course. Two, of course. Two, Harry has a huge crush on Sirius. <laughs> Yeah, that's indisputable. But that makes sense because so did James. I mean, very valid. (laughs) Sure, there's a million and a half fanfics about it too. Mm -hmm. So So the Marauders all joke after the exam about one of the questions being about the signs of a werewolf. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, oh, Lupin, did you know the answer to that one? And he's like, (laughs) then they go out into the courtyard and... Literally, Sirius is bored, so they say, let's pick on Snape, Mm -hmm. uh, which is never a good reason to torment someone, but that's what they do. Not that there's ever a good reason, but it's easily the worst of them just to be like, I'm bored. Let's make fun of this kid. Mm -hmm. They're trash. They are. They walk right up to him. Sirius and James use Expelliarmus and then Impedimenta, so Snape's like all, you know, fumbling around and stuff. Mm -hmm. James just starts talking smack. Lily, who at the time is named Lily Evans because she's not married to James yet, comes over, tells James to leave him alone, you know, asking what has he ever done to you. And James has this awful quote where he says, like, it's not that he's done anything to me. It's more of the fact that he just exists. Know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And everyone laughs, which is like, ah, like that is just the douchiest sentence. Mm -hmm. I don't know why other kids thought that was funny. Kids laugh when they see bullying. (sighs) Yeah, kids suck. So first, while he's picking on him, Lily says, stop making fun of him. James says, I will if you go out with me. And Lily's like, I would never go out with you, which is funny because then they get married. While this is happening, Snape ends up getting up and getting his wand, hits James with a charm that like makes his face start to bleed, Mm. which gets James super pissed off, takes Sirius, levitates him up in the air, and then flips him upside down so that everyone can see his gray and dirty underwear. Now, if anyone's ever listened to Hannah on Witch Please or seen their Twitter rants on the Witch Please account, there is a large debate about whether or not 
people wear clothes under their robes. I never really had a strong stance on it. This is the only concrete evidence that we have that they don't wear clothes. Hannah, do you just want to take the stage and rant about it for the next There's 50 no minutes? no <laughs> debate because only one side is correct because obviously they do not wear trousers under their robes. This is the only instance where we've had definitive proof. So I don't know why there's another side to yeah, the argument. But there's so much other textual evidence. For example, when the students join the school, they are given a list of everything that they have to buy. And they are told that they have to buy robes, but never told that they have to buy anything else. They would be told that they had to buy trousers, jackets, ties, everything else if they had to wear them. Two, they're wizards. They're not Oxford students. They're wizards. Wizards wear robes. Not like <laughs> those jackety things you put on over another outfit. Wizards wear robes like as their clothes. Three, mm -hmm. have you gotten to the part where they go to the Quidditch World Tournament yet? No, you have not. The, well, I'm they not. went to the Quidditch World Cup in the fourth oh, book yeah. in the beginning. Is that the beginning of this one? Great. Okay. It's the beginning of the fourth book. When the uh, one of the older wizards is dressed in muggle clothing and he is wearing a nightgown because he says that he uh, is not comfortable with trousers, suggesting that wizards do not normally wear ah, trousers. Okay. Yeah. Four, when... <laughs> Ron gets dress robes. They specify again, only that they are robes implying once again, that the robes are worn exclusively without a suit underneath. Ah. There's absolutely no specific reference to trousers at any point. There are references to pockets that people will try to insist means that they are wearing trousers underneath their robes. But no, it's pockets in the robes. Obviously pockets in the robes. Yep. yep. The only evidence people have given is one, they change in front of each other. In the first book, they change in the same car into their robes. That's terrible evidence because when you were a kid, you will absolutely remember you do that thing when you were a little kid where you would like put a T-shirt on and then put your bathing suit oh, on underneath. Yeah, exactly. Kids totally do that. And they're only 11 in the first book. Mm -hmm. the other evidence people use is you wouldn't be able to ride a broom because everybody would be able to see your junk. It's bad evidence. Yeah, that seems like lame evidence. Because very, very bad. Well, because the robe would go like would drape the other sides of it. Yeah. And also they're wizards. Yeah. You don't ride a broom that much. And you have separate robes for Quidditch. They call it specifically like Quidditch robes. So those should yeah. be designed in a way that like fit over a broom more nicely. And they never ride their brooms during school. So it would make sense if their school robes aren't necessarily fit to look good when you're on a broom because they're not supposed to be flying brooms in school. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Boom. I'm fully on team. They don't wear clothes. Yeah, underneath. you I are. think it's dumb yes. that they do, but I, I believe in the books that they wear underwear and nothing else. That's it. <laughs> so he is upside down. His like gray, nasty, dirty underwear is on display for everyone. Lily again demands that he stops. So he finally does. He tells Snape to thank her because that's the only reason that he stopped. And she's like, oh, don't act like you were being so nice, blah, blah, blah. But when Snape gets up, he's like, oh, I don't need the help of a mudblood. And James gets super pissed. He's like, you take that back. You apologize to Evans. Blah, 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 blah. And then Lily doesn't take kindly to that. He was like, you were just being a bully to him four seconds ago. Don't act like you're like this great guy because you don't like that he called me a nasty name. Mm -hmm. So they go back and forth a lot. And she calls out James for always ruffling his hair on purpose to try to look cool. Playing with the snitch to try to look cool because that was something he was doing before. He was like playing with the mm -hmm. snitch in his hand uh, when he was around. And then also calls him out for being a bully just for attention, just doing it in public places to whoever he wants, mm -hmm. especially snitch. And then she storms off saying that she would like never go out with him ever. She doesn't want to see him again. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Great interaction between mom and dad. <laughs> so this scene is super framed as though we have to choose between like who is really in the wrong here. Um, is it James or is it Snape? 
And obviously they're both assholes and idiots and Lily is amazing. Yeah, they both suck. Yeah. I would say in this scene, James sucks more. But when Harry later in the in the section of chapters talks to Lupin and Sirius in the fireplace, they're basically like, yeah, the two of them were pieces of shit to each other all the time. Yeah, and I mean, Snape's got a racial slur at the tip of his tongue ready to go. Yes. That's pretty trash. Not even just for a person, but for the person that literally came to his aid and was the only person that helped. Like every other yeah. kid in the entire school was just laughing or helping beat him up. Lily's the one mm -hmm. person that stands up for him and he's just right away like, boom, racial slur. It's like, Snape, what are you doing? Yeah, it's garbage. <laughs> Pretty bad. The best part of it, though, is that after Lily leaves, James asks kind of to himself, but out loud, what's the deal with her? And Sirius says, quote, well, reading between the lines, it seems like she thinks you're arrogant, which is amazing because it's so obvious. Mm. Uh, great line by Sirius. So just as Harry is trying to see what else is going on, because then James levitates him again and puts him upside down and is like, what if I take off Sirius's underwear, which seems really, really mean. Harry gets yanked away by real life Snape and is teleported out. And at that point, just P.S., it's sexual assault now. Oh, yeah. It's like really bad. I very much hope that James did not go through with it because mm -hmm. that would be a whole nother level of really bad and terrible and yeah. Ugh, yeah. all sorts. Just real garbage. Yeah, just Real gross. And who would want to like that? That's a point where like the other kids should be like, James, stop. This isn't funny. This is just mm -hmm. terrifying. So Harry gets yanked out by real Snape, who is livid. He grabs Harry super hard. When they get back in the classroom, just yells at him, says to get out, never return. We're not doing Occlumency anymore. Like I'm done and throws a jar of cockroaches at Harry's face as he is leaving. And they like crashes on the wall above him, blah, blah, blah. Harry runs up three flights of stairs to get away. And then finally... After he's done running, he has a big thing in the pit in his stomach. First off, because he knows how Snape felt in that memory. Mm -hmm. And second, the biggest reason he's a pit in the stomach he's, is that he realizes that Snape has been right all along over the course of these five books when Snape has told Harry that his dad was a piece of shit. And that's the end of chapter 28. <laughs> Big old hard-hitting one for Harry. Important revelation. <laughs> yeah, really good. It was good that we, like, finally understand why Snape hates them so much. Because you had the other thing with the Whomping Willow prank, which, like, I guess was bad because Snape could have died. But, like, this one, you kind of get more insight as to why he really hates James. Because yeah. this is just, like, yeah. he's really mean and abusive for no good reason. And we get in this chapter and sort of playing out in the next few, this, like, really fundamental piece of maturing for Harry, which is, like... At a certain point in your life, you have to learn that your parents are people too and they're not perfect and that you're yep. allowed to love them even though they're not perfect people. And that's like, you know, a stage he's going to have to move through. Yeah. Like I can love my dead parents and also recognize that they were like also just flawed humans. Yeah. I mean, we're all people. Yeah. It happens. Hey, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors who make this show possible. This episode of Pottery List is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the market 
Marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me. And then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get right 10% you can off get, your first purchase right now, by going to arenaclub.com arena Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, whether you're a sports nerd Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. But yeah, that's the end of chapter 28. And then we get into 29, which is career's advice. So Hermione is very upset that the occulumency lessons have ended or been postponed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she she thinks that Harry should go and apologize because occulumency is very important. Mm -hmm. We learn that it is six weeks until OWLS exams and Hermione notices that Harry is looking sad and asks Harry, oh, is it about Cho? I saw her being really upset the other day. And Harry's like, oh, uh, yeah, that's totally it. <laughs> and just goes along with that excuse. But Harry's basically dwelling on what happened in Snape's memory. He's really having a hard time coming to grip with the fact, like you're saying, that his parents are not necessarily perfect. And he even recalls McGonagall making a comparison of James and Sirius to the Weasley twins. But Harry says, but even the Weasleys were never mean to anyone. They just like wreak havoc. So Harry's having a really tough time given this memory. That line that James said where it says it's more the fact that he exists, if you know what I mean, is really sticking out to Harry is the worst thing. And he hates that the whole complication confrontation was started just because Sirius was bored. So all the things that we have identified as the biggest problems, Harry has identified too, which is good. He's growing up. Mm -hmm. And he feels really bad about how many times people have said that he reminds them of his dad. He's like, do I really want to be compared to my dad? Mm -hmm. So that's a fun time. Do you think it's a reasonable comparison? Do you think Harry is also a dick? Not really. Harry's like not the best friend to Ron and Hermione sometimes, mm -hmm. but he's not like actively a bad person. Mm -hmm. He's not like picking on people and stuff. I think, and we get this from the, the fireplace conversation with Sirius mm -hmm. and Lupin is that James had a really bad couple of years, but then really grew out of it and became a much better person. So I'm thinking that later in life, James probably really gets his act together. And that's what people are drawing the comparison to. Yeah. And that's my thought. Yeah. I can't picture Harry doing what he sees his father doing. Not at all. That's no what, way. Sirius tries to compare it to Harry's relationship with Malfoy. And that's like an entirely 
inappropriate comparison. I think, yeah. the dynamic there is not the same. It's completely one-sided, whereas the the vibe that we get from the James Snape thing is that uh, they were, like, back and forth always just being mean to each other constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas Harry never, like, goes out of his way to be mean to Malfoy aside from a few times. It's usually started by Malfoy, like, kicking the door and being like, sup, idiot, and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say every time I enter a class. <laughs> What's up, nerds? Harry's in the library. Ginny comes up to him, gives him a chocolate Easter egg from Molly, which is great. Mm-hmm. And it gives Harry a lump in his throat, which he doesn't understand, then conveniently ignores it. So I don't know if this is going to make sense later, but it's one of those things where Harry's like, huh, this is weird, and then goes away forever. That's not, it's not plot foreshadowing, it's emotions. Okay. I didn't, Okay. Yeah. I well, I, I was wondering why it's specifically he's like the Easter egg gives him a lump in his throat because it's a, it's a gesture of love and caring from a pseudo parent at a moment when he's feeling doubt about his actual relationship with his parents. Oh, OK. Feelings. <laughs> My brain feelings. is that it's always J.K. Rowling trying to throw red herrings around. But OK, that, that makes no, more it's sense. Feelings. <laughs> Curse those feelings. So Ginny asks if he's feeling down because it's show. Harry is honest with Ginny and just says, I really need to talk to Sirius right now, but I know that that's not possible. And Ginny says, not so fast. And Harry's like, what? And she goes, "Be well, you know, when you grow up with Fred and George, you kind of learn that, quote, anything is possible if you've got enough nerve. So I love Ginny a lot. Book Ginny's great. Mm-hmm. I totally understand why people are so upset of how she was portrayed in the movies. Because movie Ginny, at least so far, I've seen the first four movies. Movie Ginny is garbage. She's just there. Yeah, she's she's underplayed. In the fourth and fifth book, she really stepped it up. Yeah. So she's yeah. been good. I like Ginny getting better and better. This is cool. I like Ginny. I, I was afraid that I was not, because I know that Harry and Ginny get together. I was afraid that that was going to be just like this kind of forced thing mm-hmm. just because it's like Ginny's Ron's sister. But especially in this book, Ginny really does cement herself as a much better fit for Harry than anyone else he's met, whether mm-hmm. people want to ship him with like Cho or Hermione or whatever. It is very much established throughout this book that like Ginny makes the most sense for Harry by a lot because mm-hmm. she can understand some of the deep things he's going through because she was possessed by Voldemort and other stuff like that. And she also doesn't put up with him being a jerk to her, which happens later on when he doesn't want her to help fight off Umbridge. She's like, no, mm-hmm. don't be a jerk. So I like, I really like Ginny a lot. She's good. She's real good. Mm-hmm. After this conversation, they get kicked out of the library for eating chocolate by Madame Pince, which is great. And then the next day, they get notes that fifth years need to have career advice meetings with the heads of their houses. So the squad is reading a bunch of pamphlets about jobs. And as you mentioned earlier, it's like all government jobs. It's like weird, boring stuff. Nothing sounds good. Isn't that remarkable that everybody in the wizarding world works for the government? Yeah, it's weird. Like, where are the other jobs? Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, the ones that are listed was, like, Auror and Banker and Muggle Relations. Mm-hmm. I feel like unless you are a professional Quidditch player, you're working for the ministry. But I guess if you're a store owner, it uh, like, Fred and George are going to be. Yeah. Own a store, professional Quidditch player. There's only one sport. Yep. I guess professor at Hogwarts could be another yeah. thing. There seem to be four jobs. You can be an entrepreneur. Uh-huh. You can work for the government. You can be a teacher. 
you can be an athlete. And by athlete, you can play one sport because there is one sport. <laughs> There's that mm-hmm. one. Just the one. Yeah. <laughs> so they're reading all these pamphlets. And this is where they learn about the working at Gringotts actually being like a curse breaking banker. It was something I got a lot of flack for when I was doing these podcast episodes for the first part of the books where it's like, Bill is cool. He worked at the bank. I was like, that's fucking dumb. And everyone's like, no, he does. He does like curse breaking. But they never said it until now. So everyone that gave me mm-hmm. crap can like get off their high horse because they didn't tell you working at the bank was cool until like three quarters of the way through book five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they're reading all these pamphlets and Fred and George come in. Ginny told them about Harry wanting to talk to Sirius. So they tell Harry that they can create a diversion so that he can use Umbridge's fireplace mm-hmm. to talk to them at Grimald Place. They say that they will keep this diversion in the corridors and that they're going to wait until after classes so that more people are in the corridors so they can, quote, create maximum disruption, which is amazing. Good foresight by them. Mm-hmm. And also precisely the kind of skills you need as a protester. Mm-hmm. So Harry is going to use that magical knife that Sirius gave him the Christmas before last, which opens any door. Mm-hmm. And Harry describes it as being able to open any door regardless of an Alohomora charm, which honestly, like, what what lock would not be resistant to an Alohomora charm? Because it's literally like if, I don't know, if you just have a regular lock that isn't resistant, it's the equivalent of someone going open sesame and then they can go through a door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why would you not have that automatically? I don't understand. It's only It'll only keep muggles out, which oh, then okay. suggests that any locks in Hogwarts are only to keep Filch out of rooms. <laughs> That's so sad, but great. Maybe? But here, here's another thing. I, I brought this up in a in a previous episode where I was wondering, like, how come at King's Cross and then in St. Mungo's, they have these things like in, in King's Cross, they, they go through a brick wall. In St. Mungo's, they go through the windows. Mm-hmm. Why don't they just have a door that says like employee access only and then you have to use a Lohomora. Like, why don't they just do that? Because then if anyone sees them walking through a door, they're like, oh, that person must work for the train station or the mall or whatever. Whereas, can't someone see them walking through a fucking brick wall? What a magical and whimsical world you've created. (laughs) What a captivating YA series you would write. That would capture the imaginations of children for decades. Just go through a door. I mean, this is why this is for kids and not for douchebag 25 year olds like me (laughs) but like how has no one seen them walk through a brick wall how has no one seen they establish that in the very first chapter of the book that magic is happening all around us and we deliberately ignore it because it doesn't fit into our established worldview uh muggles are so dumb yeah we are So dumb. So Hermione thinks that it is a stupid idea, which it is. She tries to reason to Harry that it is dumb. And there's this great chorus of something to the effect of like, she talks to him like someone trying very hard to explain something to someone being very dull. Mm -hmm. And he's having none of it. The next day, Harry wakes up and looks out his window and sees Hagrid stumbling out of the Forbidden Forest, banged up and bruised enters into his little cottage, turns a fire, and then Harry just goes on with his day (laughs) and thinks nothing more of it. (laughs) Like the great friend that he is. That's weird anyway. He's just like, oh, that's that's strange. (laughs) Well, gotta go to history class. So he goes to Professor Binz's class. Hermione again is trying to convince Harry not to do it. 
Ron asks, are you going to stop telling off Harry or am I going to have to take my own notes? And she quips really quickly, oh, take notes for a change. It won't kill you, which is great. Mm. Love Hermione snapping at Ron. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the greatest married couple ever. You know everything that happens. I know all the like things that, I don't know. It's not like, it's not that big of a deal. I still don't know like how Voldemort comes to power and stuff. I'm stoked for that. Hermione continues to warn Harry in potions class. Harry has this great bit where he is so much better at potions class because Snape is ignoring him the entire class. Like he's not being overtly mean to Harry. And because of that, Harry's like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at potions. Feels like he totally nails it, puts it together in the flask and like brings it to Snape. Snape quote unquote drops it off the ledge and it breaks everywhere. And when Harry turns around to fill up another flask, Hermione feels really bad because she has emptied out his cauldron because Mm. she thought he was done, which is just very unfortunate. I don't get how Snape has not been fired eight times yet. He's a garbage professor. He is a garbage professor. He absolutely shouldn't be teaching. He's abusive to the students. Yeah, he's re- he's really bad. I mean, it's just like, we know he's not there because he's good at teaching. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. we know that he's there for other reasons because he's central to Dumbledore's scheme, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Dumbledore, <laughs> you are supposed to be this, like, heroic figure. And you employ child abusers and allow them to abuse your students. Yeah. You could still have Snape working for you and maybe just like have some rules. Yeah. Just keep him in check a little. Maybe just be like, you can work here, but you're going to have to stop abusing. Tone it, tone it back a little. (laughs) Like the revelation that Neville's top fear is Snape. Yeah. Like, That's bad. Actually, think about that. If that was your child, yeah, wow. And the thing that kept them up at night was a bone deep terror of one of their own teachers. Jeez. Wouldn't you take your kid out of that school right yeah, away? Yeah, in a heartbeat. Wow, I yeah. never realized how fucked up that is. Wow, it's really fucked up. That is so fucked up. That's Dumbledore. You need to get it together. Oh God, wow, man. Anyway, math on stuff. Harry then has to go to his career meeting with McGonagall and Umbridge is there. Hmm. Harry tells McGonagall that he was considering being an Auror. McGonagall warns him that he needs really good grades in charms, potions, transfiguration, and defense against the dark arts, and that there's a personality and aptitude test. So this seems like a really good process for hiring police officers. I wonder if uh, we could do the same. So... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you know the point where she warns him that there's three more years of school, Mm -hmm. like a non-honors degree. Yeah. Which then suggests that for all of the other jobs, there's none. You just go you just go straight into it. There's no med school. You just start uh you just start healing people. Get right into it. They did say you need to have a lot of very good grades to be a healer. (laughs) But yeah, there's no med school. You just kind of go. But fucking high school grades. Yeah, exactly. You're 20 years old and you're a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or a cop. <laughs> well, you're 23 if you're a cop because you have three years of whatever. No, they're 17 <laughs> when they finish Hogwarts. Wait, what? I thought they were 19. Harry is 15 and he's... They might be 18. Yeah. 15 in the fifth book, book. And there's seven books? Yeah. Yeah. 15. Yeah. So he's 17. Wow. He is 17. Yeah. Why was Crumb 19 then? Mm, maybe Durmstrang has a more rigorous education. All I, all I know is I was pointing out that Crumb and Hermione being a thing is super fucking creepy because she's 14 and he was 18 or 19, which is super creepy. I don't know. People on Twitter were like, oh, he's 19. It's okay. I was like, she's still 14. That's not cool. Is he 19 and she's 14? Even if. He would be like 17 and she'd I'm, be 14. I'm looking up how old Crumb is. Okay. 
Let's figure out his age. Because their whole relationship was like, this is statutory rape and this is not cool. Yeah. You can't just like come over to my house in Bulgaria. 18. So 18, 14 is still weird. It's still creepy. Yeah, that's 18 and 14 is gross. Yeah, that's uh sorry, but like no shame. Like Yeah, but it's still a college freshman dating a high school freshman, which is still kind of yeah, weird. That's gross. Like yeah, that's, that's gross. McGonagall says that they only take the best to be ors, and they haven't hired a new or in three years, which seems crazy. I don't know how you just don't hire a profession for three mm-hmm. years unless you don't need a lot of horrors. I'm mm-hmm. baffled by that. Um Umbridge is doing her like tiny cough hem hem bullshit to try to intervene, but McGonagall is completely ignoring her. Mm-hmm. But finally, after the third one, it's too loud. McGonagall says, may I offer you a cough drop, Dolores, quote, without looking at her, which is just a great, <laughs> mm, amazing. Umbridge butts in basically to say that Harry is unfit because he's bad at defense against the dark arts. Mm-hmm. McGonagall's like, what are you talking about? Every teacher that he's had has given him good marks. And she's like, oh, have you looked at the grades I've given him? And McGonagall says, oh, I'm sorry, I should clarify. I meant every competent professor <laughs> that he had. And Umbridge gets pissed and starts. Ah, <laughs> starts sassy McGonagall is the dude, fucking sassy best. Sassy McGonagall is peak. I want a whole book of just her being sassy. A whole movie. Marcel and Neil have proposed a like a spin-off sort of reboot that is like a TV series, like a gritty HBO TV series uh-huh. that's entirely from the perspective of the professors. Oh, just McGonagall. Please, as much McGonagall as just possible. McGonagall as the protagonist, just oh. like, yes, yes, times a Amazing. thousand would watch Please. forever. I want, yeah, that's the thing, like prequel movies, like I get they're doing Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them or whatever. There needs to be McGonagall prequel movies. Please. I would watch um, every ounce of that. It would be so good. Yeah. Like, I'm interested in getting Dumbledore's backstory. I'm interested sure. in Grindelwald. Like, that stuff is cool. I'm interested. There's, like, a maybe a fan-made Voldemort prequel. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Coming yeah. out. Like, that stuff's all really neat. But, like, I want the fucking backstories of these women. Yeah, like, yes, please. Rolling, could you give me a woman-centered narrative, please? Give me a McGonagall backstory. Give me a Lily Evans backstory. Like, give me something. Yeah, it would be good. Yeah. Or, I mean, honestly, remake the books and the movies from Hermione's perspective. So good. <laughs> like, it'd be amazing. It would just be Hermione thinking Harry and Ron are dumb the whole time. I'd love it. McGonagall continues on with her description of horrors to Harry. Umbridge again interrupts, saying that Harry would never be chosen because of his criminal record. And Umbridge goes on to say, this boy has as much chance of becoming an Auror as Dumbledore has of returning to the school, to which McGonagall says, oh, a very good chance That's a very good one. (laughs) (laughs) So. That's super, super good one. That's amazing. Umbridge says he has no shot. McGonagall says that she's going to help Harry become an Auror if it's the last thing she does. Umbridge replies with the minister will never employ Harry. And Umbridge says there may be a new minister by the time Potter is ready to join. And Umbridge is like, oh, so you want you want Dumbledore to take over for Fudge and then you be the headmistress, blah, 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 which is a stretch and a half. So McGonagall dismisses Harry, says, like, go away. And they uh, Harry leaves and the two ladies are continuing to argue with each other. Gets very heated. So in the next class that Harry goes to, Hermione again warns him not to do the fireplace thing. Harry actively realizes that it's a terrible idea, but wants to do it anyway. So the diversion begins. Hermione does one last plea, doesn't work. Harry puts on the invisibility cloak, grabs a knife, walks down the hallway, and goes into the room. He starts to set up the flu powder thing, and he notes explicitly that he has never done this before, which is like, how do you not, you're doing this entire plan in your enemy's office, 
that you need to do very quickly. And you're doing something you've never done before. Like, how do you not? How would how uh, would he practice? I don't know. I, or he could at least like ask someone exactly how to do it. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not that hard of a thing and he figures it out. But I just feel like, mm-hmm. ugh, I feel like it's not great foresight by Harry to not even double check that he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He gets it to work, goes to the fireplace thing, uh, teleports his head, gets to Grimald Place. Lupin is there, asks Lupin if he can get serious. And both of them are very concerned that there's actually an urgent matter. They're like, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you safe? And he's like, oh, I just wanted to talk to you about this one time my dad was a jerk. Feelings. It's feelings, feelings again. You're always like, everybody's always looking for plot, but this book's about feelings. <laughs> Harry relays the memory to them. Lupin and Sirius try to downplay it, saying that basically James and Snape hated each other. They were always going back and forth. And a big reason that James hated Snape was that Snape was a master of dark arts and was really into it. And James thought that that was really a poor decision for someone to do. So I guess there's like some, they try to give some validity to why he hates Snape, but still he's kind of a jerk. Yeah, I mean- also, James isn't wrong. Snape turns out to be a Death Eater, so. Exactly. Lupin and Sirius say that the rivalry between those two was huge because they were clearly the two most talented kids in the entire school. So everyone in school thought that those two were like the biggest hotshots. Harry asks, why did Lily marry him? And they say that those two didn't start dating until his seventh year once James, you know, had shrunk in his ego and stopped hexing random people in the hallway. Mm-hmm. So at least, you know, we get some foresight that James becomes a better person. And that Lily has good taste. Exactly. Harry says even Snape and then Lupin and Sirius kind of do like a uh, no <laughs> which is great. I just imagine them like looking at each other making eye contact in the like Ooh. the Ooh, emoji. Yeah. Sirius asks how Snape reacted to finding Harry in the pensive. Harry says that, oh, he got super mad and he's going to cancel all of our occlumency lessons. And Sirius is like, what? I'm coming up there to have a word with Snape. And Lupin's like, Sirius, you can't do that. Basically, they both tell Harry, you got to go to Snape and apologize. The most important thing for you right now is occlumency. Mm -hmm. Harry then hears some footsteps. Obviously, the reader thinks that this is going to be Umbridge, but it turns out to be Filch, who is searching for an approval of whipping parchment, grabs it and leaves. So Harry then also leaves in the cloak, goes down the hallway to see what the diversion is, and you see that it is Fred and George in the middle of a swamp that they have created in the corridor, surrounded by a bunch of students, a lot of whom are covered in the swamp stink sap material, and Umbridge is yelling at them, and then Filch comes up with a whipping thing, so she's clearly about to whip them now that it's an official decree, and she says something to the effect of like, now you'll see what'll happen when you mess with me, and Fred and George are like, no, I don't think so. Fred says, George, I think we've outgrown full-time education. George agrees. Fred then says, it's time to test our talents in the real world. George agrees. They accio for their brooms and are about to fly away. But before they do, they mention first off that they have a storefront on Diagon Alley for Mm -hmm. Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes. And they say that they'll give discounts to any Hogwarts student who promises to use the Wheezes to get rid of this old bat. And just before they fly away, they turn to Peeves and they say, give her hell from us, Peeves. And he salutes and they fly away. And that's the end of Mm. chapter 29. And it is the end of this episode of Potterless. So (laughs) how are you feeling Hannah, because these these were some fun <laughs> chapters. They were dense and we learned a lot and had a lot of feelings, but I feel good. I mean, I feel great. <laughs> I, f- I love the uh, the triumphant Hogwarts conclusion of Fred and George. So love, good. They literally ride off into the sunset. They're just they're just the best characters. Mm-hmm. And they they 
get cast as just these jokers the whole time and just this sort of great revelation of like everything that they're capable of doing and have just been not doing because they like Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. And the second Dumbledore's gone, they're just like, well, fuck it. We're burning the school to the ground. We're out of here. Like, it's incredible. (laughs) It's so good. very cathartic. Uh. In the midst of that, because when you're reading it, it's so like Hogwarts under Umbridge feels so oppressive and depressing. And this, like Fred and George really uh, lighten the mood. They do. They really do. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. Hannah, thanks for joining. Uh, Is there any particular thing you want to promote, even though your podcasts are on hiatus? Yeah, I mean, just go and re-listen to all of the old episodes of Which Please, Mm -hmm. which you can find at ohwitchplease.ca. We're also still super active on Twitter. You guys are. A very fun Twitter follow. At Please. so come hang out with us. Um, I also have a second podcast now called Secret Feminist Agenda. Yeah. um, Which you can get at secretfeministagenda.com or like on those other places people get podcasts. Beautiful. Yeah. Speaking of those other places, Potterless is on all of them too, but you just go to potterlesspodcast.com. All the stuff is there in terms of like social media, all the other apps. Please leave us reviews and stuff. It makes other people help us find it and it's so nice. But Hannah, thank you for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world all the time, every day, wizard on. (laughs) You're shaking your head violently. (laughs) They absolutely, absolutely do not say that. For more information on Potterless, you can head on over to potterlesspodcast.com. You can find us on your preferred podcasting apps, including Spotify and any social media. Just search for Potterless Podcast. Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert, as well as Leanne Davis, Andres Ozelby, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Erica and Calvin Bauer, Michael Vanderslice, Sadie Bear, Emily Whiffen, Jesse Horgan, Maggie Zobazek, Natalie Klobuchar, Deborah Wilkes, Daisy Carton, Stoddard, Klaus, Sir Lopu, Michael Butch, Sean Jones, Alexander Stark, Rebecca Adamick, Frank Chiodo, and Marchismo. Web designed by Kelly Beckman and the music is by Bettina Campamanis. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would leave us a rating interview on iTunes, it really would help. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.